Good morning. Good to see you guys. Will you please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5? For those of you who are new with us, we want to welcome you here this morning. And just to let you know that we have been working our way through this book for the last, well, I'm not going to even tell you how long. Uh, you, you might be so scared you won't come back. Now, it's been over a year, but we've been working through it verse by verse, and we come to, or we have come to a section uh, that actually closes out chapter 5 from verses 22 through 33, a section that we are calling God's design for a spirit-filled marriage. And we're calling it that because the whole section, the whole passage is really built on Paul's admonition in verse 18. And let me tell you what the Greek says, that we are commanded, Paul says, he commands us to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the idea of being filled with the Spirit in part means to be controlled by the Spirit, to be surrendered to the Spirit. Because I'll tell you this, guys, without the Spirit's power, without us giving God complete control over our lives, I'll tell you what, not only will your marriage not be what God wants it to be, but your whole Christian life. And in a nutshell, that really is what the Christian life is all about, learning to give up control to God exclusively. I mean, you know, we come to Christ, we, we give up a little control. Some are better than others. But over the course of our lives, God is trying to, to teach us that we can totally trust him. That, you know, even though we don't see what he's doing, that if we will just trust him, it will work out exactly the way he wants it to work out. And, of course, he always leads us in the right paths. Not always the easiest ones, but the right paths. And so it's all about learning to give up control and let God take control. And this is, of course, is absolutely the case in marriage, because until we give the Holy Spirit control of our lives, he will not empower us with the power we need to live the lives he's calling us to live. So in this section, we've already looked at God's command to wives in verses 22 through 24. And now we are in the section where what we are calling God's command to husbands from verses 25 to 33. Let's read it together, starting in verse 25. Where Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, and of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason the man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, as we come to this section, God's command to husbands, really, God's command to husbands is really built on the first four words of verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Everything that follows is Paul describing what he means by that. The kind of love he's talking about when he says, husbands, you're to love your wives. As we read these verses, we find that there's five things that emerge. 
Five things that describe the kind of love that Paul is really looking at and wanting us to love our wives with. He's first of all saying in verse 25 that we are to love our wives willingly. Secondly, we are to love them sacrificially. Thirdly, we are to love them practically. Fourthly, we're to love them unconditionally. And then fifthly, we are to love them permanently or for the rest of our lives. Well, we already looked at the first two, but let's kind of go back and just review quickly and then get a kind of a running start at what we're going to pick up this morning. But again, Paul is saying in verse 25 that we as husbands are to love our wives, first of all, willingly. He says, just as Christ loved the church. Look, nobody forced Jesus to love us. Nobody could have forced him to love us, right? Nobody forced him to die for us. He did that out of his great love for us, a love that he willingly gave for us. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I give it freely for the sheep. This is the kind of love that he offered to us. And men, that is the kind of love that you're to offer to your wives. No wife should ever have to beg her husband to love her. No wife should ever have to to bribe her husband with sex that he might then tell her he loves her. Some men won't even offer their wives any kind of emotional support or affirmation unless she first of all gives them sex. No, no wife should have to bribe her husband to tell her that he loves her. If your wife has to ask you guys, do you love me? Honey, do you love me? That's a red flag that you're not doing your job. Because, as we used the illustration last week, you know, uh, on the dashboard of our cars, we have a gas gauge, a fuel gauge. It's connected to our fuel tank. And it's got a needle that reads how full or actually how empty the tank is, right? And when it gets down to, you know, the fume area, a light goes on, doesn't it? And maybe if you got one of those real high fancy cars, a voice starts talking to you. Hey, dummy, put gas in or something like that. I don't know. But guys, if your wife has to ask you, honey, do you love me? That is a red light going off in the dashboard of your marriage, saying you're not keeping her emotional gas tank full, guys. She needs to hear it from you. Well, I told her I loved her when I married her, and until I take it back, one guy said, it's still in force. Oh, well, that's wonderful. That, that is really touching. Look, that's not when the I love you's end. That's when they just begin. We should take the initiative as men, as Jesus took the initiative to love us, right? We love him because he first what? Loved us. He initiated the love. We responded to it. Guys, willingly initiate your love for your wife in the sense that you affirm her, you tell her how much you appreciate her, how blessed you are that she is the one God has given to you. I mean, this is your job. Just as Jesus affirms us constantly, doesn't he? So we're to love our wives, first of all, willingly. Secondly, we're to love them sacrificially. Again, verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The word there for love is agape. And that's a Greek word that is used of God's love, of God's love. It speaks of a sacrificial commitment, not a feeling. It's a verb. It's not a, it's not a noun. This, this love is action-oriented. It's not just feelings. You know, the Bible doesn't say that God so loved us that he stayed in heaven and felt sorry for us, that we blew it. Oh, tough break. I mean, you know, 
I'm, I really feel bad for you, but, you know, what am I supposed to do? You know, I'm going to go over here and maybe make another planet and more people. Maybe they'll listen to me. No, God's love was such where he saw the predicament we had got ourselves into. And his love was such that he wanted to move to do something about it. That's genuine love. It's a sacrificial commitment. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's love for us is such where it's willing to die for us. And husbands, Paul is saying, that's the kind of love you have to have for your wife. Sure, she's called to submit to you, but you're called to die for her. Who's got the greater responsibility? We are called to die for our wife, die to self, to put her needs first, to make her know how special she is to us. Maybe God won't ask you to die for her literally, but the day might come when he may. Are you willing? You know, I was uh, reading a book sometime back, uh, uh, written by a man named Richard Fugit. And uh, he was talking about what Christian men are supposed to be in the light of what Scripture says. And he was um, talking about how Men have changed over the last hundred years in their attitude towards women and children and their wives and so on. And he used an interesting example. He took, um, of course, a, a real account of when the Titanic sank in the early morning hours of April 15, 1912. Here's what he said. I found this really fascinating. He said, and I quote, There was an unwritten code of the sea which said women and children first. It is the natural code that a man operating by biblical standards will always follow. He said a large number of male passengers were on the Titanic that night, and they were Christians. Uh, let me phrase it again. A large number of male passengers who were Christians were on the Titanic that night, and these men knew, first, uh, knew well the passage that Jesus gave in John 15 when he said, Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Knowing they had a place reserved in heaven... They had no need to grasp onto their physical lives. Because of their sacrifice, approximately 75% of the women were saved, while only 25% of the men survived. He said, do you think men today would make the same sacrifices? He said, well, in 1987, a ferry sank in the Philippines, killing over 4,000 people, mostly women and children. The majority of the survivors this time were men. Similarly, when the ferry Estonia sank in the Baltic Sea, most of its survivors were also men. When the male survivors were questioned why they had not helped the women and children, they were quoted as saying, I'm quoting them, hey, it's survival of the fittest. It was every man for himself. If women, women want equality so much, they've got it, end quote. In 1992, when a survey was taken among 200 adults called the Titanic Test, it revealed that, and I'm quoting the survey, if the Titanic sank today, only 67% of the men and 41% of the women would be willing to give up their seat for their spouses. A little more than 33% of the men would give up lifeboat seats to a woman other than their wives. Also, only 55% of both men and women would yield a seat for their own mothers. Fugit says, I am sure that a lot of women seeing this survey did not feel very secure knowing that one out of every three husbands would not give up their lifeboat seat for them, end quote. Well, you know, this all dovetails with the prophecies of the end times. 
Because Paul said that in the last days, men would be filled with self-love and that people would be without natural affection. The Greek word there literally means without family love. Fugit ends by saying, and I quote, If our nation is to return to a period of greatness, men will have to accept the role of protector over those who are weak and needy. If the family is to again be strong, husbands and fathers will have to exercise their strength and leadership for the protection of their wives and children. In other words, we will need biblical men who are willing to sacrifice their lives for their families, end quote. May God help us as men to regain what God originally intended for us when he called us to be men of God. Well, that brings us to the third one this morning where Paul said we are to love our wives willingly, sacrificially, and then practically. We as husbands, guys, are to love our wives in such a way that it's practical, that we demonstrate for them our love in very practical ways. And to illustrate this point, Paul says in verse 28, he says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Now, Paul uses a very simple illustration to, to uh, drive his point home. He says, look, guys, you are to love your wives. How? Well, like you love your own bodies. Okay? Well, wow, that gets personal. All right? I mean, that's a pretty good uh, illustration. I mean, what man doesn't love his body by taking care of it? I mean, when the body gets hungry, we feed it. A lot, right? When it gets tired, we rest it. When it gets sick, we pamper it. And we recreate it and we exercise it. We take good care of ourselves. And Paul is saying, husbands, you know, love your wives like you love yourself. Hey, look, forget sacrificial love for a second. If men would love their wives as much, in other words, as equally as much as they love themselves, we could eradicate most of the marital problems off the face of the earth in a second, basically. Because so many marital problems, and the guys aren't, not just about the guys, but Paul is addressing men here, and we guys can be pretty selfish, but most of the problems in marriage could be eradicated almost instantly if men would just love their wives as much as they love and take care of themselves. I mean, you come home, you're tired from a hard day at the office or wherever you're working. You come home, you see your wife is just frazzled. She's just, you know, running after the kids all day. She's exhausted. You know, the last thing you want to do is call a sitter and take her out to eat. But sacrificial love says, you know what, I'm tired. But, you know, she's the weaker vessel. Not the inferior vessel, the weaker vessel. I'm physically stronger. If anyone should make the sacrifice, I should. Honey, let's call a sitter. I'm going to take you out tonight. Maybe we'll go to a show, too. You know, that's sacrificial love, guys. It's saying, look, uh, my needs are important, but they're not more important than my wife. I'm to put her needs above my own. I'm to die to self to put her first. Paul says in verse 28, he who loves his wife loves what? Himself. You know, any man that only looks at his wife as a cook, a babysitter, a clothes washer, and a sex partner, basically, and not as one who is a person who is one with him, not as one who is to be loved and pampered, is not only hurting her, he's hurting himself. And I'll tell you how. When a wife feels cherished and appreciated and loved and cared for by her husband, well, guess what? She's going to blossom. 
And she's going to reflect all that back to him who is pouring all that into her. You know, a man that doesn't take care of his physical body is a fool. A man who is, is into drugs and alcohol and smoking and just doing all these things, he's just hurting himself, right? But also, Paul's saying, if you're a husband and you're not really taking care of your wife the way you should, you are really hurting yourself because really she reflects back to you what you're giving to her. That's why the Bible says we love Jesus because he first loved us. And that's why I tell you guys, you're the ones to initiate because Christ, you represent Christ in the marriage and Christ initiated first his love to us and we responded as his bride. And so guys, you initiate with your wives. You know, you show her how much you care about. She's going to reflect that back to you. You know, we said last week, there's a lot of guys that's, you know, they're really down on their wives. Oh, man, she's just nagging all the time. She's miserable to be around. Well, I always like to ask them, how are you treating her? I mean, how are you treating her? Because the scriptures say that you really reflect, she's reflecting what you're giving to her. Do you know when it says husbands love your wives, there is no direct quote in the New Testament anywhere where, where God commands wives to love their husbands? Because again, we represent Christ and we Love Christ because he first loved us. And so, guys, as you love your wives the way God has said, well, as you pour into them all that love, they're going to reciprocate. And you're going to find them loving you because they're going to reflect back to you what you're pouring into them. You don't like your wife too much, look in the mirror. How are you doing as a husband? And then Paul said in verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. The word nourish there is a Greek word that means to feed in order to bring to maturity. To feed in order to bring to maturity. And the Greek word could be uh, talking about feeding physically, and I think that that's part of it. We men are to provide for our wives. We are the providers. We are the ones who are commanded to go out and work so that we can bring home the money that our wife and our children can be provided for and fed physically, of course, and other things. But it also could be used to speak of an emotional feeding. And we just talked about this, right? It's our job as husbands to feed our, our wives emotionally, to fill up their emotional gas tank. Why? Because we want them to grow in their relationship with the Lord. We want them to flourish and be all that God wants them to be. That's not going to happen if we're not building into them emotionally. If we're being very selfish and self-centered, if we look at them only as that they're supposed to serve us, if we're not encouraging them to be all that God wants them to be. You know, in verse 27, Paul says, Someday the church, the bride of Christ, is going to be presented to him. And I'm convinced Paul was using that illustration because in a very real way, when we stand before the Lord someday as husbands, we are going to present our wives to him. I'm convinced one of the first things the Lord is going to say to us as husbands is, okay, where's the wife I gave you? What have you done with her? How have you treated her? You know, have you, have you built into her? Did you, did you, you know, I mean, did you really cause her to grow and flourish? Or did you suck all the life out of her? Is that your wife, that little scrawny, sucked up raisin of a woman over there? You know, I mean, there's a lot of guys so selfish that just take and take and take from their wives. And they never give back anything. We need to be pouring into our wives that they can grow and be all that God wants them to be, that they come to maturity. 
spiritually speaking. In fact, the verb form of this Greek word is used in James 5.5 of luxurious living. Luxurious living. (laughs) Well, you know, we men know how to live luxuriously when it comes to ourselves. We know how to pamper ourselves. And Paul is saying, guys, how about you start treating your wives like that? In fact, the word, again, just as Paul driving home this idea that, you know, the wife's job is not to pamper us. Our job is to pamper them the way Christ takes care of us. Now, the word cherish there in verse 29, Paul says that we are to, first of all, nourish and then cherish our wives. The word cherish there is a Greek word that literally means to soften or warm with body heat. To soften or warm with body heat. The word uh, is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint. It appears in Deuteronomy 22, verse 6, to describe a mother bird as she sits on her nest. And what Paul is saying is that we husbands are to provide a warm and secure environment for our wives, an environment where she feels safe and cared for and protected and where she can grow and flourish without being afraid. Without being afraid. Of course, without being afraid of you, but also without being afraid of the future you're going to bring to her. See, When a woman is made to feel safe and secure in her husband's love and leadership, that woman is going to have no problem submitting to him. In fact, I'm convinced she'll do it willingly. It'll be a joy. If a woman feels safe and secure in her husband's love and leadership, I mean, she's going to have no problem submitting to him. I mean, she's going to do it joyfully. But when she doesn't feel safe and secure, she's going to find it very hard to submit to him. You know why? Because, you know, he's made some dumb mistakes in the past. (laughs) One more dumb mistake is going to wipe us out financially, and if that happens, then, you know, I'm not secure in his love to the point where I think he feels he's going to stay with me. He's going to probably leave me. And then what am I going to do? I can't work with all these small kids. And so she's very afraid of the future because he's not making her feel secure. And her insecurity and fear of the future then causes her to challenge every decision her husband tries to make. I mean, if she's not confident in his love for her, or in his leadership, because he's kind of doing things, you know, he's winging it, he's not praying, he's not bringing her into the process, he's just doing whatever he wants, and he's made some boneheaded decisions in the past, and you know what? She's afraid that he's going to continue to the point where he's going to wipe them out, and maybe then take off. Well, that insecurity is going to cause her to then challenge his decisions that affect their future. And... As she challenges his authority, it's going to put him on the defensive. His ego is going to kick in. He's going to start saying hurtful things like, look, I don't need you. I got along fine without you before I met you. I'm going to get along fine without you once you're gone. And so he starts withdrawing emotionally, becomes cold and unresponsive toward her, which then only reinforces her insecurities toward him and causes her to challenge his authority all the more. It's a vicious cycle. You see how it goes? And as it escalates more and more, finally the home becomes a battlefield where almost every issue is fought over. You know, every issue is open warfare. Any new issue that comes up, immediately the bell rings and they come out swinging. All because the husband isn't providing the nourishing and cherishing that his wife needs to feel safe and secure. Now listen, this is not just a problem with the guys. There are many women today who are very controlling and domineering. 
They refuse to submit to their husbands. Maybe he's a good guy and wants to really lead the family the right way God would want. But she's so controlling and domineering, she refuses to submit in anything to him. And so what that does is, if she's not respecting his authority, if she's emasculating him every chance she gets, he begins to withdraw emotionally. He begins to, you know, to pull away. And then you have the same basic situation going on, where there's warfare in the home. This is something that God does not want to see happen. Men and women have roles in the, in the marriage, and God wants each to fulfill those roles, because when they do, the marriage functions exactly the way God has designed it to function. So we're to love our wives practically, guys. And I'll give you one more this morning. We're to love them unconditionally. Look at the beginning part of verse 28. Again, where Paul says, So husbands ought to love their own wives. Skip down to the end of verse 29. Just as the Lord does the church. Paul said that husbands need to love their wives just as Jesus loves his bride, the church. You know, God's love for us is undeserved, right? It's undeserved, and therefore it's unconditional. I mean, I'm so thankful that God's love for us is not performance-based. In other words, it's not based on the worthiness or the deservedness of the one receiving it. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that when God told you he loved you, it was before you were ever born, before you did anything wrong? Now, Spurgeon, I think, was the one who said with tongue-in-cheek, I'm glad that God loved me before he created me, because if he would have waited until after he got to know me, he might not have loved me so much. Well, of course, he was fooling around because he knew before God ever made him or any of us that God knew us intimately, knew everything we were going to do, every sin we were ever going to commit, and he still chose to love us in spite of all of that. That's unconditional love. And I am so thankful as a believer, as a child of God. Every day I don't have to work to perform in such a way as that I earn God's love that day. What child can grow up in a home where their love, where their parents' love is constantly given as a reward for how they perform that day? And husbands, the same is true with your love for your wife. She has to know that you love her unconditionally, not because of how she looks or how she cooks or what she does, that you love her for all she is in spite of some of the things she does. See, here's where the battle lines often come you have women who will say well when he starts loving me the way christ loves the church then i'll start respecting him he says well when she respects me as she's commanded to then i'll love her like christ loves the church and what you have now is a situation where two people are demanding performance it's no longer unconditional love now it's purely Love conditioned on works. And guys, because we are the men, we are the ones in the family or the marriage to go first, we have to humble ourselves first. Any man who says, look, I will love my wife as Christ loves the church when she does this, or when she stops nagging me, or when she starts respecting me, or when you know she cleans house better, or whatever it might be. See, you're not understanding the concept. We are to love them as Christ loved the church. Jesus' love for us is unconditional. And I'm so thankful for that. He didn't love me because I was worthy or deserving. He simply loved me because he chose to love me in spite of me. And we need to understand that. That's the kind of love that God shows us. And, you know, 
the kind of love that says, I will love you if you deserve it. That's the world's concept, isn't it? And the world does this all the time. You see, the world only loves those who are deserving or who have earned the right to receive that love. The world's love is object-oriented, you know? In other words, if the ob object is nice, the world says, you know, I love you, I want to have you. In fact, when people pick partners today, many times it's because of what they call love at first sight. Love at first sight, you know? And how Hollywood has kind of romanticized that concept. You know what love at first sight really is? It's selfishness at first sight. How could you even love this person? You don't even know them. Either you're God and you know all about everybody before you even talk to them or meet them, or what you're expressing is a very self-oriented love. Love at first sight means, wow, I like the way you look. I like the way people are going to look at me when they see you with me. I like the way you, know, you make me feel. Love at first sight is a very selfish love. It's, I see it, I want it, I can't live without it. You see all the eyes in there? It has nothing to do with real love, God's love, which is giving, self-sacrificing, and others-oriented. And those people, and often I'm sorry to say they're men, who tell another person, I love you so much, you know, I, I can't live without you. And if I can't have you, I'm going to kill myself. Some women are very flattered by that. Some women hear that and go, wow, he really loves me. He's going to kill himself if, if I don't, you know, marry him. Wow, he really loves me. Girls, don't fall for that line. He's not expressing his deep love for you. He's expressing his deep love for himself. If I can't have you because of the way you're going to make me feel or what you can do for me, I'm going to kill myself. That's about as selfish as it gets. You know, I told this story uh, first service. There was a, a young guy and a gal who um, had um, fallen for each other. I think they had gotten engaged. But over the course of time, she noticed he was a very controlling person to the point where she was starting, he was starting to scare her. And so, in good judgment, she broke the relationship off. Oh, he was devastated. He kept calling her. In fact, the last time he called her, he took her to task of the phone for how mean a person she was, how rotten she was. I mean, here I am expressing this great love for you, and you turn around, you throw it back at me. What kind of a person are you to do that to me, you know? And, and I'm trying to love you, and you're, you're just, you know, you're, you're hurtful, and you're mean, and, and you know, and, and I love you so much that, that I can't live without you. That's how much I love you. And as he's talking to her, all of a sudden she hears a loud bang. He shot himself in the head while he was talking to her. Killed himself. The last thing on this earth he wanted to do was punish her for the rest of her life because she wouldn't allow him to have her. That's love. That's about as selfish as it gets. That he wanted for the rest of her life to remember the horror of that moment where he would actually take her his life while he was on the phone talking to her to punish her, to make her feel guilty the rest of her life. That's a man who truly loves a woman. See, but that's the world's love. It is so self-absorbed, and God's love is completely opposite. Completely opposite. 
God's love for us is totally unconditional. God even loves those who don't love him. God loves the whole world and has made provision that the whole world could be saved. You know, John said in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins, but not just for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. He didn't die just for those that are saved. He loves the whole world and wanted the whole world to be saved. Is the whole world going to be saved? No. No, you see, God's love can't save you. You realize that? God's love has never saved anybody. All God's love can do is provide a way by which you might be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's God's part. That's what he did. He provided a way by which we could all be saved. But here's our part. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the word there in the Greek for believing, again, is not a passive word. It's an action word. It's believing to the point of commitment. But God loves even those who hate him. Because that's, that's his love. It's unconditional. And again, guys, as we bring this to a close, your wives need to know that you love them unconditionally. That your love for them is not performance-based. It's not based on how they look. And if they gain a few pounds, they know that you don't care for them anymore. Or anything like that. They need to know that when you stood before God and family, when you first got married, and you stood there, and you vowed to each to them and to God that you were going to love them for better or worse, sickness and health, good times, bad times, for the rest of your life, you were going to stand beside them and always remain with them. That's the kind of love you need to show them. They need to know that no matter what happens, they can count on you being there. You're not going to bolt like so many guys do today. You know, the things get rough and they, and they, they bolt. And they leave the women with the kids. And now the women are working one, two jobs, trying to be moms and providers. This is the state of men today in this country. You know, when we gave our heart to Christ and were betrothed to him, you know the promise he made to us? I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm taking this commitment seriously, Jesus said. doesn't matter how you perform doesn't matter if you blow it. You can count on me always being here with you. I will never leave you. Guys, you need to let your wives know that that's how you feel about them. And that kind of dovetails into the last way that we are to love our wives, which we'll say for next week, we are to love them permanently for the rest of our lives. And this doesn't just pertain to men, it pertains to women too. And I want to save this one for next week because of the high divorce rate in our country and how it even affects many Christian marriages today. As Many Christians seem to be listening more to Hollywood's version of love, which is self-oriented, self-centered. And if things get tough or she makes you unhappy or doesn't do all that you want, find somebody new. It's all about you and your happiness. A lot of Christians seem to be listening to the world instead of to the word, when it comes to knowing how to love their spouses. And so we will look at that next time, but a lot to think about. My prayer is that we as men, Christian men now, men of God, would be all that God wants us to be. That we would be strong men, not 
using our strength to intimidate or abuse, but using our strength to love and protect and take care of those who are weaker, especially our wives and our kids. May God give us the grace to be those kind of men. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness and grace. We thank you so much, Father, that your love for us was not conditioned on our performance, but it was unconditional, based on your love being unconditional. You know, just it's your nature to love. And Lord, give us your love in our hearts. Lord, pour in us your love every day that we might learn to die to self, to love not only our spouses but our children with that kind of love. But Lord, everybody we come in contact with, even our enemies, the world knows nothing of your love, Lord. And they will never really learn of your love if they don't see us manifesting it in this world. We are lights in the darkness. Give us grace, Lord, not to listen to Hollywood or the world, but to come to your word. And through brokenness, surrender, and laying our lives on the altar of sacrifice, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might get up, that we might go out into this world as Jesus did, dying to self, taking up our cross, and dying, Lord, for those that you love, even if they are our enemies, that they would see that the love we have is not of this earth. It is a supernatural love that comes from the heart of God and flows through us by the power of the Spirit as we yield to you every single day. Father, we thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.